it's it's bad communication sometimes because you do when when people communicate assuming that the subject that they're discussing is known to everybody, it's a bad communicator, right? It, you're being a bad com so I, I'm serious. I'm not like joking. It's a bad habit that I have. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Victor Mark Show. I'm your host that has the same name. We just thought it'd be easier. And as I often say, I have shirts with my name on it and gear. I think my wife is prepping me for the future. As many times as I've been hit, punched, kicked, or had things blown up around me. And uh, still doing the, uh, my, my, my latest health deal is the, what's it called, James? The big oxygen tank. Barometric. <laughs> the barometric. The, I almost said barometric. Uh, uh, no, it's, uh, oh my goodness, now you got my brain all uh, scrambled What is it, up. Kendall? What is this? The it's, tank that you get in. Yeah, it's the chamber. Uh, I almost said barometric. Hyperbaric. Chamber, that's not, hyperbaric. hyperbaric. Thank you. I, Thank see, you. fourth so you grade. you said barometric first, so you threw yeah, me I know. off. I, I know. <laughs> I, fourth grade's still the best three years of my life. Folks, I've got a friend. He's a wild man. He's a Middle Easterner. He's a foreigner. Uh, <laughs> and a fitness expert, by the way. Yeah, and a, and a fitness expert. Uh, uh, tell my audience before I introduce you how much weight you've lost. Uh, we're quickly approaching 400 pounds. Folks, just stop everything <laughs> else you're doing and contact Pastor James Kadish at Calvary Chapel, Sydney Hill. This man is a legend. And uh, 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 dear friend, mainly because he keeps pushing into me to be friends. I'm, I'm, I'm the <laughs> I hustled you, bro. The I know. Only hustle greater than that is the one <laughs> called my wife. I hustled her away. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, between low IQ and busy, but trying to stay balanced, uh, my friends know I love them, and we can pick up where we left off. But uh, it requires pushing in, and you, you do such a fantastic job of that. Not only as a friend, uh, this is a little caveat. You both have held my arms up at times I needed it, and you also have politely kicked me in the groin to say, <laughs> hey, are you, theologically, is this? And I'm like, oh, that kind of hurt. Uh, let me double check. And you've saved my bacon on a couple occasions, and I thank you for that, James. Well, bro, you're a serious warrior, and you're you're definitely one of the men that I admire on a whole lot more level. I think if most pastors uh, behaved like you, we wouldn't even have the problems we have in our country right now. And, and I'm serious; I'm not I'm not messing around. If they had the same kind of heart, the mind, the love for God, and your wife and country that you had, uh, bro, we wouldn't we wouldn't be in this mess. I would I I just see that it's very obvious. You're you're definitely one of a kind, bro. That's for sure. Well, thank you for those kind words. And I think both of you and I have learned the secret of our identity in Christ, but just being the, the thumbprint he made us to be. I mean, who else we're going to be? It takes so much energy. And I've always loved your, your moxie 
and he, uh, folks, he is Egyptian. Uh, his bloodline and his family had the privilege of meeting your father yeah. uh, before he changed his address uh, to heaven. And I love your family, uh, your your bride, your kids, your your church. So if you're ever looking for a great online Bible study or YouTube channel to watch, uh, find him because you do this daily thing, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, this year, I think by the time we get to the end of this year, we'll have produced something like 1600 videos, 1700 videos. Wow. All of which are well studied and thought yeah. through. And I mean, work. you're very time and cultural issue relative. You bring in a biblical, um, uh, insight to it. I, I love it. People love you. And and I'm just telling you, folks, we've been trying to get together. I mean, I've been on your show, I think, a couple of times. But um, he, he, we've been trying to get you on mine for a while. Today's topic is what I've been so excited about, people, end times. End times. And there's um, there's only a handful of people that I really respect uh, who have great Bible insight and are solid uh, you know, maybe five, and all four others were busy or don't like me, so I ended up with James. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm it's, option, wait, A, B, C, D. I'm option E, Hey, really? you're top five. <laughs> top five. <laughs> oh, Actually, uh, you're, you're the first person I thought of, and I said, I because I, I just love the way you, you know, you get it done. Uh, and there are folks listening right now, they, they don't have faith. Uh, they acknowledge it. Hey, I'm an atheist or I'm gay or uh, whatever, you know, because uh, the program's pretty widespread. And then, then I've got our serious Bible students that, you know, I can hear their notebooks opening and their pens coming out and highlighters. But I need you to help my audience understand, one, are we really in the end days? Because I've got friends that go, come on, Victor. Give me a break. Friends. And I'm like, shut up. I think we are. But help us understand in really layman's terms. Don't get all, you know, you got to dial back the IQ there, professor. <laughs> uh, for if no one else, me. But help us understand, are we in the end times and why? Yeah. Well, well listen, uh, we are undoubtedly in the end times. Uh, the, there's a couple of things that people need to understand about the Bible uh, that a lot of people might miss. And and I want to say this, um, and this is where Victor and I are alike. We're alike in a lot of areas. Uh, perhaps one of the areas that we share in common that we like the most is open and free dialogues. And when that involves uh, people who don't believe in the Lord, who share all kinds of different lifestyles, we love you here. You're the people yeah. that we that we just Absolutely. enjoy having here more than anybody else. Yep. Um, but the Bible makes it very clear, and if you are a student of the Bible, you will make it your goal to study the patterns that are in the Bible because the Bible creates gives us two real accounts, very important accounts. The first account that it gives us is the account of the character of God. That is uh, perhaps the, the most significant. It tells us more about God than any other document in the world in existence. The second thing that the Bible does is it gives us the most accurate depiction of uh, human nature. 
And if you will learn to study the patterns that exist within the Bible, you will have a better understanding of human nature. And perhaps that's the very reason why you are so good at what you do, uh, Victor, when you go out there and um, you use what I oftentimes call the gift of violence to save people's lives and, um, and to uh, really protect those that are exploited because everything you do, the people that are like you that, that get old, and I'm not, I'm not saying you're old, but well, the people that, I'm are like there. You that survive, that, that actually make it and don't end up dying really early are the ones that understand human nature so well yeah. that your instinctual capability allows you to develop not just a functional understanding of all of the characteristics and the constructs around you, but you understand the relational aspect of it, which means you're able to really, really, really act safely because you understand the, 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 the variables that exist within human nature. And that's a very important thing. That comes from a deep understanding of the Bible, right? Mm. And I, I have said this, the greatest warriors, the greatest soldiers, the greatest Marines, the, you know, the greatest airmen, uh, the greatest uh, uh, police officers are the ones that are the closest to the Lord because as they, as they study biblical patterns, they understand instinctual uh, a better, they have a better understanding of instinctual characteristics, which give them a, a better understanding of how to be good at what they do. And when you're a lawman and you're enforcing, or a lawwoman, if you're enforcing the law, if you have a better understanding of what's right and wrong, there's nothing that's going to keep you from putting the boot to something if you have to, um, because you understand it and you know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And so. So when well, it comes to end times, I think you have to understand these patterns in the Bible. Otherwise, you're not going to understand what it's all about. And could we say the same for just farmers? Oh, I yeah. mean, farmers who understand, I mean, farming. I mean, you do all the work from A to Z. You pray for great weather. But it's everything from planting to harvesting and getting it to But they understand. They have that sense of. This is going to be a bad year. They're looking at the almanac. They're looking at history. And biblically, I mean, I'll say this. Eileen and I were born again in the 80s, early, mid-80s, mid-80s. And the things that were taught, uh, you know, uh, especially among the Calvary chapels, so big on end times and revelation and the, uh, I mean, it was just, a, it was consistent. I died because it created this excitement that Jesus could come back, right? And um, uh, that's what really helped us focus on being aware of what's going on. Yeah. Back then to now, we often go, oh my gosh. Yeah. We never do. I mean, this looks like we're more entering into the tribulation. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to get into the theology of things, but I've had a lot of, very good friends say, Victor, I'm rethinking some theology, but that's for another broadcast. The main thing is the signs of the times. Yeah, People yeah. know there's an increase of evil. Uh, yeah. I, I, I use this I use this true incidents that happen. There are people right now on planes that are starting to see demons manifesting. Oh, yeah. And there, you, you see the videos. This isn't a joke. I mean, it's becoming a federal issue because they're screaming, jumping on seats, tell them that, or seeing that guy's face. And you and I have seen the manifestation of evil. 100%. Uh, and, and it's real. And I think God is, you know, he's allowed us to be part of that aspect of the battle. 
but it's everything is increasing. Everything evil. 100%. And does it say when when people call good and evil and evil good that we'd be near the end times? Yeah. So in the book of Isaiah chapter five, God condemns. Uh, those who call good evil and evil good. That's where people say that in the last days, people will call good evil and evil good, because particularly at the very end of that passage in Isaiah, um, God speaks about the latter day. So the general context or the general context of that passage has a local application, uh, which we call in theological terms didactic, but the more prophetic implication of that passage speaks about the last day, and that's where they get the calling good evil and evil good. And, and it gets a lot deeper than that. Uh, a couple of really great examples of this, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about all of the things that are going to happen, and he talks about no, one, no one's going to know the day or the hour, and he's talking about the second coming. Oftentimes, the second coming is conflated with the rapture. The rapture is when God takes the church prior to the tribulation. The second coming happens after the tribulation. But in Matthew 24, Jesus says something really interesting that we should all key in on. And he says that in the last days will be as the days of Noah. Now, there's a lot of people who tend to pontificate on what the days of Noah were and what it looked like. But Jesus himself describes what the days of Noah was in that same um, dialogue that he has or monologue, shall we call it, right, Um, where he speaks about it. And the description that Jesus gives us is so powerful because it gives us this tremendous understanding of, of what actually happened in that time. And here's the thing, and this is the picture. You want to talk about getting rid of all the theological terms and getting the most basic? Let me draw the most basic picture for you. Okay. God tells Noah, listen, the world is destroying itself. These, the human race is basically going to be gone. So he says, I'm not going to strive with man. I'm going to destroy the world. But he says, Noah, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save, and I'm paraphrasing all of this. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save your family. And it's funny, by the way, people don't know this, but the judgment of God is actually a symbol of his grace. As a matter of fact, the only time God's judgment won't be a symbol of his grace will be when the world is completely destroyed after rebelling against God the final time. And let me explain what I mean when I say that, right? Um, Let's take a look at the flood. When the Noadic flood took place and God destroyed the whole world— That was a symbol of the grace of God, because had God not done so, the human race would have destroyed itself within a few years of the time that God destroyed the world, right? Same thing with the Tower of Babel. When they all got together and they decided that they were going to, um, you know, pursue uh, this tower where they themselves would become uh, God and they replaced God. The idea here is that God said, no, I'm going to show you my grace by judging you in confusing languages so that you'll never be able to come together, which by the way, interesting, the modern day tower of Babel is in the trans movement. And by the way, not necessarily in the uh, transgender movement, which by the way, I hate using the term gender. We only use the term gender in the Greek and Hebrew language or other languages where we seek to engender a particular noun, but we actually use the term sex because that's the way it's supposed to be in language and language matters. But anyway, let's go back to this, this situation. The thing is this, Right now, it's not transgenderism that is the new Tower of Babel. The new Tower of Babel is transhumanism. And the reason why it is that way is because what what we are doing right now is the spirit of Antichrist, and people don't get this. They think anti means against Christ. It doesn't mean that. When you look at that word, that word actually means instead of Christ, not against Christ, but instead of Christ. 
So the spirit of Antichrist is one that's worded that says, I am going to remove my collective consciousness of God by replacing God and assuming I am God. And when wow. you see people like Yuval Harari that says, we've got AI and we're going to be like God and we can produce better things than God and so on and so forth, it's such a crazy deceptive uh, mechanism that oftentimes gets deployed to create a lie. And, and a great example of like Yuval, for example, doing this is he says, well, we're more sophisticated than God is because God created biological material, but we're creating artificial intelligence. Well, think about the foolishness, the arrogance, and by the oh way, the goodness. stupidity of what he's actually saying. Yeah. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Oh, it's, it's crazy. <clears throat> think about this for just one, one second. It, have we ever created a device? Imagine owning a car that could crash. Every part in the car could be destroyed. And the car within one moment tells you, stand by. It produces all the, car, all the parts that are destroyed. Then it repairs itself and makes itself brand new. We, don't, we, we have never created a machine that can do that. We are incapable of creating a machine that can do that. Yet we have proteins in our body that will do exactly that thing. So to say that we have this complex structure that is um, AI, which is really a series of heuristics that are created by some kind of a, a, a programmer to do a particular thing and to create a new construct of a type of function variable that exists in something like that. It's crazy because when you, you can't even begin to compare it to the complexities of DNA, for example. The complexities of the information store of DNA are far greater. How about the neurological infrastructure that exists within our mind that works far faster and has a far greater capacity than anything we've ever been able to put together in human history. But the lie of the enemy says, the spirit of Antichrist, I'm going to replace Christ, right, by creating a collective uh, idea that we can become God, and that's what the spirit of Antichrist is. So Jesus tells us this in Matthew 24. He says that it will be as in the days of Noah. Well, the funny thing about Noah, and I'll draw the picture for you here, is that God says we're going to judge the world. And what does Noah do? Noah says, okay, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me. And so Noah starts building the ark. Now, here's the thing. By looking at the genealogies, by looking at the uh, timelines created by the variances in the genealogies, you realize something very quickly. Noah took a bare minimum of 75 years to build the ark. 75 mm. years. So think about it like this. Someone is five years old. They see Noah begin to build the ark. They see him commence the ark. Now, bear with me here. 70 years later, that 75-year-old, that 80-year-old will go to his grandchildren and say, that guy Noah is a cuckoo. <laughs> He's been working on that ark for 70 years and said God's going to judge. And nothing <laughs> happens. Right. And then what happens is God judges the world. And when God judges the world, they realize it's too late when the door is closed. And Jesus says that in the days of Noah is characteristic of a group of people who will look at the symbols of the impending doom of the world. They will see the symbols of God's coming judgment. They will see the things that show the characteristic of what's happening, like Israel becoming a nation. That's a whole other, you know, biblically, prophetically relevant situation. They look at all these things and they say, no, they've been saying this for thousands of years. Well, welcome. You just happened. entered into the days of Noah. And it even happened. though in the days of Noah, they saw the ark being built and they knew that something inevitable would happen. They saw the veracity of Noah. They saw the fact that Noah for 75 years, crazy men do not stick with that right. level of consistency to approach something at that level. 
And the reality of it was they made fun of him. They mocked him. Although the Bible doesn't say that, that's what's inferred. Because obviously, if they're not taking what, what he's saying seriously, that's what ends up happening. And the world was destroyed. And that's what we're seeing right now. Everybody is eating and drinking and being married and marrying and being given to marriage and so on and so forth, but not paying attention to the signs of the time. And Jesus said that that's exactly what would happen. And, and we are seeing the sign of the time. The Bible makes it very, very clear. The Bible describes to us the type of characteristics that we would see in the end times. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, uh, This know also that in the last days oh, yeah. perilous times shall come, for men shall be what? Lovers, Lovers of, of them self. own selves, covetous, boasters, boasters proud, blasphemers, to disobedient to parents, unthankful, ah. unholy. Watch this, bro without natural affection. You know, people say without natural affection refers to the uh, to the function of homosexuality. Without natural affection doesn't deal with that. It's actually far worse than that. Even though homosexuality is a sin and it's evil and, and it is a very destructive element within society for a lot of reasons, right? But th think about this. Without natural affection basically means that you have become somebody who is cold. You are incapable of loving. You're so endowed within the desire for your own lusts, for the lust of your flesh, that you no longer look at people through the eyes of God. You don't wow, look at Kim, humanity that way. are you listening to this? Pornography, give you have a great you heard example of this. Of this. Before? this pornography does that. The, the addiction that's growing that people have to pornography is causing them to be people without natural affection. Why? Because a person who looks at pornography is seeking to fulfill the desire of the flesh without learning and understanding how to, let's just take a man, for example, how to court a woman, how to treat her with love and care and respect, sure. how to value her, how to contribute to her, how to understand the value of the family infrastructure. You throw all of that away. And pornography is far worse than drugs. If you come to me right now and you say, James, uh, I'm going to give you a choice. Give a guy pornography or give a guy heroin. I'm picking heroin every single time. Yeah. You want to know why? If you're addicted to heroin, the way you get your fix is you take more of it after you build a tolerance to it, right? Yep. But if you're, if you're addicted to pornography, it doesn't work that way. With pornography, studies show that in order to get the gratification that you got the first time you watch pornography, you don't watch more of it, you watch different. It has to be different. So it goes from men to women, from men to men, from women to women, to bestiality, to kids. To That's where the child exploitation happens. That's where the murderers, when you read about Ted Bundy, it was, it was because Ted Bundy was the epitome of without natural affection. My it goodness. was created by his addiction to pornographic material. Brother, you're going to break the internet when we post this thing, because I'll tell you right now, this, this is truth that people need to hear. And I just, I, I just second what you're saying because in our space of trying to protect children and working in this realm of child pornography and all that, folks, it's not the dirty old man that's doing the downloads like you think. The, that's right. the fastest growing group of individuals are young men in their 20s. Yes. In their yes. 20s. Yes. Because they've been looking at porn 12 years, 15 years, and they're so desensitized. Yep. And then guess what? They're acting on that. They're moving yep. from the fantasy and they're acting. And, and it's hitting out on the teenagers. I've dealt with many face-to-face -face 
that have the saddest stories of starting addiction, uh, maybe because of child abuse, but starting porn and then becoming an addiction and then the child porn. So this is one of the areas, look, even 30 years ago, this was unheard of. 20 years ago, unheard of, where yep. you would not consider uh, this this tide of young men in their 20s or late teens looking at child porn. There was still shame. There was still guilt. So the heart of man is definitely growing colder, and I, I've never heard anyone speak on this unnatural desire or affection that's incredible. And now, you comes, talked about Israel. You yeah. talked about this. Mm-hmm. So for the person who's not really a Bible thumper, yep. what are a couple of other things that would make them alarmed? Can oh, I sure. say something? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh in here, folks, like I'm smart. Digital currency. You are smart. <laughs> Digital currency. <laughs> My daddy had that IQ of 185, but I think I was swimming in a different end of the pool with some floaties on when it came time for gene pool. But digital currency, yep, cashless society, that's one of the big ones that even non-believers know, right? Yep. Uh, the Christian church did a good job of scaring people. Go, oh, when the cashless society hits and the mark of the beast and digital currency, brother, Camp on that right now because that that's what's happening to us right now. Yeah, that comes from Revelation 13. Revelation 13 speaks to us of a moment in time where the, I call him the final Antichrist because there have been many Antichrists previous to this time, right? The spirit yes. of Antichrist. There's lots of examples of them. Our current president is an example of one who embodies the spirit of Antichrist in more ways than most people think. I don't want people to mistake his lack of capacity to actually be his lack of ability to execute certain levels of evil. And I think that's very important for people to recognize. And, and again, to review, Antichrist isn't, they're against Christ, but it's they're instead what? Of, instead instead of, Christ, of replacing Christ, replacing God. That's the, that's the idea. And, and replacing the consciousness of God is the most significant variable that drives all of this. And, and there's several reasons why you want to understand Bible prophecy, and I'll explain the Revelation 13 aspect. But I, I want to say this, the better you, the more familiar you become with Bible prophecy, the better of a political analyst you actually become. Whoa, I, I like I, that. I think that the best political analysts on the face of the earth are the ones that are going to know Bible prophecy. That's why uh, I've been spending a lot of time with guys like Charlie Kirk Yep. Talking a lot about this aspect because the reality of it is he's probably the best political analyst of his time, yeah. at least in his age. And I I promise you he becomes 10 times better with the with the knowledge that the scriptures give him. I and agree. um and so and I'll give you an example of this in a second, but Revelation 13 speaks of this final Antichrist who sets himself up in the temple and demands to be worshipped. And when he does so, he basically says, you are required to show your allegiance to me by taking this mark on your right hand or your forehead. And the mark is 666. It is a physical mark that is on your hand and your forehead. It's not some implanted microchip that oftentimes people say it is. The Bible says it's a physical mark. But what's remarkable about this thing 
is that people will be in line to take this mark. A lot of people don't talk about that, that people will be happy to do it. So much so that in Revelation 14, it tells us that an angel shows up on the face of the earth and tells everybody, don't take this mark, don't take this mark. And yet people still do it, showing their allegiance to the final Antichrist and are willing to take it. Now, I will say this, prior to about four years ago, this was one of the great conundrums in my mind. How in the world can you convince people to take the mark? Like how in the world can that even be the case? When COVID hit, I realized Boom. very quickly how you can do it. There's the, the answer. fear of death is powerful. And, and the fact that we convinced so many people to, uh, I have to be careful, I don't know where this is going to show up, so I have to just be careful, to follow a medical procedure. I'll just use yep. it that way, yep. right? That they did not want to take um, it, it is so indicative of the world in which we're going. And so when we start talking about the issue of, for example, CBDCs, which is what we're watching, central banking, digital currencies, um, let's just talk about where that's going right now for just one moment. Let's go about some general misconceptions concerning CBDCs for just one moment. CBDCs right now do not deal with personal exchange material. It deals with how banks exchange information between one another and okay. how they exchange currency between one another. Now, that's a very important thing because if CBDCs get established the way that they are wanting to establish them and they're very close to getting it all done – then you eliminate exchange rates between banks, number one, and you begin to equalize the value of money across the pipe no matter where you go. Now, that becomes very important because when you eliminate cash, you, in essence, almost immediately, almost immediately have the problem of equality, right? How, right. how do you take a man's fortune and make it viable in the eyes of somebody who has no fortune? Right, And this is why you're seeing the World Economic Forum say you're going to own nothing, but you're, yet you're going to be happy about it. This is why you see the rise of all of this stuff. Well, the Bible makes that very, very clear. The Bible told us that this would happen. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that if you actually study it, you can have faith in the assertions that the Bible makes because the track record that the Bible shows is remarkable. I can, give you, can I give you one example of this? Uh, please. Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem. We call it uh, the, the, uh, the day, we celebrate this, we call it Palm Sunday, we celebrate the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, people say, Hosanna, 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 they're excited, they worship him. Oh, the, that's Hosanna, just so yeah, you know. Yeah, Hosanna, it's, yes, that's right, that's how so we would say it in, mess, in Hebrew. Yeah, he messes like in, it up in Hebrew. Yeah, so just so you know, Cajun way. when we, when we speak certain words in, uh, in Hebrew, they sound nothing like in English. For example, in Hebrew, you do not use the word jah. Or the the you don't we don't have that ja sound. So when you say Jerusalem in Hebrew, we would say Yerushalayim. It's a very different sound. Or you would say Joshua, we would say Yeshua. Right. Uh, so they're they're very different. I'm uh, working on English for yeah, my Cajunness. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this nasty habit of using the original pronunciations. Probably because I have of this the nasty habit of speaking proper no, Hebrew. No, no, it's, not, <laughs> it's actually no. It's it's bad communication sometimes because you do when when people communicate assuming that the sub that they're discussing is known to everybody, it's a bad communicator, right? It, you're being a bad... Com so I, I'm serious. I'm not like joking. It's a bad habit that I have. Yeah. Um, so he... I think he, it's cool. He, <laughs> so he rides into the city and the Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, if I rebuke them, oh, yeah. if I quiet them, then the very rocks will cry out. Yes. So a moment goes by, Jesus looks upon the city of Jerusalem, 
he weeps mm. over the destruction that is coming. He predicts the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus in 70 AD. That actually happens exactly the way Jesus said it would happen. Again, more Bible prophecy all throughout the scriptures, right? By yep. the way, when 78, when the tit- when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, it was destroyed on the 9th of Av, 70 AD, which was the same day that the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. Very interesting, and there's so much to that, by the way. Wow. Um, so, so. Well, Jesus, can I just get? Can I yes. pause there for a second? Yes, folks. The reason why we can trust the Bible because we always hear, you know, well, it was written by man, translate all that. But the reason I trust the Bible. Honestly, it's because of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. That's right. right. For me as a young Marine, I'm asking the question, you just want me to believe this is a holy book? (laughs) And they're saying, no, it's the holy book. And I said, why? And that's where I really said, all right, I can trust into something that is 100% spot on. 100%, right. 100% correct. So um, Jesus then predicts the destruction of the, the, the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple by Titus in 70 AD. And then he says this. He says that the reason why that would happen was because they missed this thy day. What the heck was he talking about? They missed, they this, missed thy this thy day? That's what he said. You've missed this thy day. What did he mean when he told the Pharisees that? And you look at that, you go, that's not in the Bible. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. He said that to them. What did they mean? What did Jesus mean when he said that? Jesus meant he was referring to something that was spoken of in the book of Daniel. Okay. Now I'm going to do this just for our benefit, for the benefit of the audience. I'm going to go to Daniel chapter nine. Okay. Okay. Now this is kind of important. I'm going to, I'm going to be as quick with my history as I possibly can. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys the nation of Israel in essence, right? The northern kingdom of Israel was already destroyed. By the way, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a civil war. After the rule of Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam was the last king to rule Israel as a unified nation. Jeroboam comes into the picture. He says, listen, I have these uh, I, I represent the 10, 10 of the, the, the 12 tribes. I represent them. I'm telling you, you're too hard on us. You need to cut loose on us. You, you, you know. And uh, Rehoboam, of course, says, no, forget you. There's a civil war. And from that time, Israel is a split nation. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 tribes to the north. You've got the southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes to the south amongst the Levites and so on and so forth. And something uh, spectacular begins to happen here, and God begins to ensue his prophetic plan concerning everything that would happen in the future. Now, let me just simply say this, and this is why I say that becoming a political analyst is, knowing Bible prophecy is important to becoming a political analyst. When you look at what Jeroboam did to the northern kingdom, Jeroboam did something substantial. Jeroboam said, I have a problem on my hands. Because I just divided the nation, and he's the ruler of the kings to the he's the ruler of the northern kingdom. He says, all these people three times a year are going to run down to Jerusalem. They're going to worship at the temple. Their sense of uh, patriotism is going to be reinstilled in them. They're going to walk away going, Yerushalayim, 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 Yerushalayim. We're going to see you, Jerusalem, the next day. They will begin to develop an affinity for the nation as it was unified, and I'm going to have a problem on my hands. So what does Jeroboam do? Jeroboam sets up what are called the high places. Many of you might not know why they're called high places. They're called the high places because in every area of that region, 
he picked out the highest point of that city and he put a temple for false worship of false gods right on that city. So the idea behind Jeroboam doing that was you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Just look up at the temple here. You can worship this false god wow. and you will meet your accomplishment. But Jeroboam knew wow. something. Jeroboam knew something that Margaret Sanger knew. Jeroboam knew something that every single Neo-Malthusian, Hitler, he knew something that all of them uh, knew. And he knew this. There's no way in the world he was going to get the northern kingdom to buy into worshiping up there unless he had people complicit with him that were familiar to the religious organization. So what does he do? He calls upon the priests, the same priests that were only serving two times a year, to go into the temples— and the ones that they were, the ones that the people were familiar with seeing from their region, from their area, would now be seen up there in the high places. So he got the pastors that the people were familiar with, the priests that the people were familiar with, to go along with the moment of the day, the type of worship. So then the people did that. Now the very moment he got the priests to follow along with it, he got them. He got them. Just like Margaret Sanger with the Negro Project. And she knew, she wrote it. I know we will never be able to get black people Without to the follow pastors. our Neo-Malthusian ideas unless we get the pastors involved. This is why both wow. me and you despise so deeply wow. the action of pastors who are supporting wickedness. Yep. It's, it's because the enemy is doing what he did with Jeroboam. The enemy is doing what he did with Margaret Sanger. He's doing it all over the place. Okay, so... You've got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. God told the northern kingdom, you're going to be destroyed. You keep worshiping false gods, you're going to be destroyed. Assyria comes in, destroys the northern kingdom literally 200 years before the southern kingdom is destroyed, right? Then God begins to bring Jeremiah into play almost 200 years later to warn everybody in the southern kingdom. He's one of my favorite prophets. You're not giving the land the rest. God told the people, you work six days, you rest the seventh day. Just like that, I want you to work six years, you rest the seventh year. They didn't listen. Why? Because on the sixth year, God gave them enough crop for the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth year. Why did he give them that crop? So that he could basically do all of the things that they needed to do. They had all this extra crop so they could give the land a rest. Well, the Jewish people said, I'll forget that, I'm going to make some money. So they went ahead and did it. Jeremiah comes on the scene. Jeremiah 29, he says, listen, you were supposed to give my land the Sabbath for 490 years. You have not given my land the Sabbath, so I'm going to take it back. You owe me 70 years. I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar to come in and to destroy you, and you are going to be removed from the land. 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes in with the first of three sieges. That's the siege where Daniel is taken away as the prophet. He comes in then after that in 595 BC. That's the siege where Ezekiel gets taken away. And now he's in Babylon. And then you have the 9th of Av, 586 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem at the termination of that and destroys the lives of a half million men, women, and children in Jerusalem. The temple is desecrated. It's gone. It's destroyed. It's over with. Now we hit we run into Daniel chapter 9. Daniel right, brother, man. Hey professor. Yes, let me make a little disclaimer. I don't have enough coffee to keep up with you. <laughs> I promise you I, I promise you I'm going to make this work. You're going to okay. understand this. All very right, quickly. people hang on. Those yes. of you who run at my pace Hang on, he's gonna yes. land this plane. I promise it's, you, it's, the, it's very the, exciting. But the, I'm just like, wow. Listen, I, the plane is gonna land, and you're wow. gonna you're gonna be blown away once the plane lands in just a second, right? 
So Daniel in chapter nine is now a 70 year old man, easily 70, probably closer to 90 years old. I'm gonna correct myself, probably closer to 90 years old. He says in Daniel chapter one, he says in the, or Daniel chapter nine, verse one, he says in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So he's in the midst of the, of the Medo-Persian empire at this point, right? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar is gone at this point, right? He yep. says in the first year of his reign, I, which is, this is how we know what year Daniel is, is saying this, right? We know that he's around 535 BC because this would have been around the first year of that reign, which would have been exactly 70 years after that last sea or that first siege, right? So, uh, you know, you take the, you do the math, 605, you, you minus 70 years, that gets you to 535 BC. That would have been the first year of the reign of, uh, of that king, right? Of Ahasuerus. So he says this, he says, I understood by the books of the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Translation, 70 years later, I read the book of Jeremiah. I was reminded by his prophecy. He knew Jeremiah, by the way. He would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an old man when Daniel was a young man. So he knew the words of Jeremiah. He heard Jeremiah speaking in the courtyards mm. of, the, of the temple. He said, I read the prophecy and I was reminded, 70 years is up. We were taken away from our land 70 years ago. It's up. So then he tells the Lord, he says, I want to know what you want me to do, God. And then God tells him something very interesting, right? God tells him uh, later on in the book of Daniel, and this is where it becomes really, really profit, uh, really uh, powerful, Daniel 9, 24, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed upon your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. That's number one. Number two, to make an end of sin. That Number three, to make an atonement for iniquity. Those three things, by the way, were accomplished already, right? Then he's going to bring up another three things that have not been accomplished yet, right? Okay, number four, to bring an everlasting righteousness. Number five, uh, uh, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision, number five, and uh, number six, to anoint the most holy place. So listen to what he says. This is very interesting. He says, No one therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay, you're going to bear with me here. I'm going to explain this. I'm going to go through this quickly. You can fact check me and you will. it will come up to be exactly as I said it, okay? Let's do a little bit of math. First of all, every single week that he, stalked, that he talks about here, he mentioned 70 weeks. Every single week is indicative of a particular day. Every day in every week, you got seven days in each week. If you take, uh, we'll do the math in just a second, but each day is representative of a year. There's a lot okay. to this, right? There's a language issue. There's a lot of things that tie to that, right? We're only talking about 69 weeks. The 70th week of Daniel has not happened yet, okay? We, we, it just hasn't happened yet. In, in, it's something that's going to happen in the future. That's what we call the tribulation, okay. right? But the, 60, the first 69 weeks have happened. Now, he says something very interesting, okay? He says, therefore, understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. So he tells us when the timeline of the 69 weeks start. He says, when the decree is made to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's when the timeline starts. Well, let's establish a timeline for a second. If you take 69 weeks and you multiply that times seven, that gives you 483 days. Each day is representative of a year. If you take 483 years 
and you multiply that times 360 days. We're not talking about the regular Gregorian calendar that we deal with today. We're talking about the calendar that would have been represented in Babylonian times. It's 360 days per year. You take 360 and you multiply that times 483, you get yourself the number of 173,880 days. From the going forth of the restoration to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, Artaxerxes Longimanus did that on March 14th, 445 BC. You can read about that in Nehemiah chapter two, right? From that day, okay, if you calculate 400, uh, or you calculate that, that number that I gave you, the 483 times uh, that uh, uh, seven, which or the 483 times 365, 173,880 days, that gets you from May 14th, for March 14th, 445 BC, to ready for this? March 29th, 32 AD, which was the very day that Jesus rode into the city. Whoa. Sorry, 33 AD, not 32 AD, Whoa. 33 AD, which was the very day that Jesus rode into the city. If they were studying Bible prophecy, Victor, they would have been standing at the gate waiting for the Messiah to ride in on a donkey wow. like, like the Bible prophesied he would. Wow. So that's, if you want to talk about God's track record being absolutely perfect and why we listen to Bible prophecy, can I give you one more example of this? This one's a lot easier and this one is a lot more palatable for a lot of people, right? Revelation chapter six. If you care about politics and you care about the condition of a nation, you'll study Revelation chapter six. Revelation chapter six talks about a time. This is when the church is already raptured, where we are going to see four seals that I'm specifically concerned with, right? There are four uh, uh, four judgments here that we talk about, right? They're very important judgments. The first one is a white horse. The second one is a red horse. The, the third one is a black horse. And the other one is a pale horse. The white horse is representative of a totalitarian ruler by the name of the Antichrist, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is what happens when you look at this pattern. The white horse is the final Antichrist. The result of a totalitarian ruler is instantly war. That's the red horse. The red horse stands for war. War comes as a result of totalitarian rule. After war, the third horse comes into play, the black horse, which is economic failure, economic collapse. By the way, there's a notation in Revelation chapter 6 regarding the third horse that says, don't touch the oil and the wine. What does that mean? It means preserve the ruling class, mm. the ruling class that created this totalitarian rule. Mm. Then you have the pale horse, which the pale horse is death. And in the case of the book of Revelation, what you have is 25% of the world's population that dies. Now, here's the thing that's funny. If you knew Bible prophecy as it's depicted in Revelation chapter 6, then you would understand why totalitarianism is so dangerous. You would understand why Joe Biden is so dangerous, why what's going on in Venezuela is so dangerous, why communism is so dangerous. Because when totalitarian rule ensues, the next result is war after war. The next result is economic collapse. And after that, you have death. And in the last 100 years, we have seen over 300 million lives lost as a result of this pattern. Now, you might ask, okay, James, so then what's the big deal with Revelation chapter 6? Well, Revelation chapter 6 is what happens when Christians are not on the face of the earth. Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that the final Antichrist can't even be revealed to the world until Christians are actually raptured. So when you don't have the gatekeepers, the people that are standing up for righteousness on this earth, then the full 
force Ru- oh, of yeah. totalitarian rule fueled by secular humanistic ideals and philosophy brings death to its maximum capacity. Oh, hell's going to break loose. And folks, this is what everybody refers to in the movies and books as the four apocalypse, right? The horsemen. And so many, so many books and movies have been, the story been told about this. So now let's switch to the mother, the mom at home with the little baby. She's listening to all this. She's a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. Maybe not even understanding some of it. She's like, sure. you know, gosh. But she does see a push toward cashless society. Yep. She does see the credit cards now, just tap them. She does read that there could be implants soon yep. for medical and financial. Already happening. Uh, it's it's happening. And she's a little scared. Yep. yep. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation about AI and digital. And I, and I somebody said, you know, we, we have to stop. I go, first of all, if you own a smartphone, yeah. they got you already. <laughs> you're, you're done. I mean, they, I, I, if yes. you've had it for six months, they got you. Yep. Your voice, your face recognition. Remember when it went thumbprint way back when? Oh, yeah. Yeah, folks, these are just the the these are just the pathway to complete control of and I do believe with the vaccines and and everything I I remember being in gosh, southern Mexico following the the pathway of migrants coming in and we went all the way down to Colombia. We went through the Darien Gap. It was pretty radical. But I'll never forget, we had to take COVID tests to enter, I think, Guatemala or somewhere, Panama. And i never forget, they gave us these tests that would be digitally downloading our DNA. I'll never forget, through a swab. Yep. And I thought, but they're going to have my DNA. DNA yep. versus the old one where you just do the test and you look at it. So so to that mom or to that young person who's having, they're suffering from anxiety yeah. because they see all this. Yep. It's what's what's the hope? Oh, I mean, man. This is my favorite part. Yeah, let's hit that before we close. Because <laughs> okay. what, what, what's the hope? So for the moms, I'm going to just tell you this right now. You are the most blessed women in human history because of the time that you're living in right now. The only other woman that was blessed in human history outside of you was the mother of Jesus and the mother of John the Baptist. But the time in which you're living in right now, you are the most blessed women in human history. And I'm going to tell you why. Because... When you function using the instinct that God has created within you as a mother to fight for your children, to be healthy and God-fearing homemakers, and to do the things that God has called you to do, you become the most effective and powerful force against the work of the enemy. And let me just explain this. this if you don't think that what I'm saying is true, this is the very reason why there is a concerted effort right now to destroy women. The enemy is seeking to destroy the identity of women by bringing in the contagion of transgenderism. The enemy is seeking to destroy the role and the identity of women 
by making effeminate the young men that are being raised up by those women to basically negate the function and the role of women in society. The enemy is making a concerted effort to do everything that he can right now to confuse the role of women by what's going on in the corporate world, by de literally making a demon, demonizing the role of women in the family. Do you understand that the Black Lives Matter movement actually condemns women who are of color, black women, condemns black women who chooses to stay at home and be a support to her husband. The, the, the tenant of their philosophy is not only to destroy the Western prescribed nuclear family, which I understand the phrase nuclear family, Western prescribed, I have no idea what they mean when they say, I don't think they have any idea yeah. what they mean when they say that. But here's the thing I don't understand. They think that your best function is to be a full-time protester and allow other people to raise your children. They say that. So if you understand that you are in the craziest time we've ever been in world history, you, God is using you in ways you never thought. You know the most powerful force right now in the United States of America? The most powerful force. Angry and determined mothers going yeah. to school board meetings. The yeah. most powerful force in the United States of America right now are women who function like my mom, who prayed for me every single day. Do you understand that the ministry that I have, God has allowed me to minister to, I minister to millions of yeah. people a month, millions, and that is a direct result of my mother's prayers for me. Yeah. And anybody else who has anxiety right now, understand this, the same thing goes for you. The anxiety that you experience right now is very real, and it is a function of the human condition when that human condition is given to the destruction that it brings forth. If you will simply make one minor adjustment, it's just one, it's a simple minor adjustment, it will, it will be revolutionary. It will literally break loose every wonderful thing that God wants to do for you. It's one minor adjustment and that's this. Actually, I'm gonna say two, right? Number one, get to know what the Bible says about this time more than you ever have before. Now you think, well, James, that'll make me more anxious. Actually, it won't. Because if you recognize that God, for on purpose, told you what would be coming, then you're being ready, right? It's the whole idea of, Victor talks about this all the time, situational awareness. If you're ready, then you're capable. Jesus says it, right? You, you don't want to be overtaken like a thief in the night, you, you know? So allow yourself to be educated. You feel a lot better. You walk down a dark alley and you don't know how to defend yourself. It's going to be a whole lot more anxious, than if you walk down a dark alley yeah, knowing fully how to good. protect yourself, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Don't ever forget what I'm about to tell you. Do not ever forget it. God has an amazing plan and purpose for your life, and it is so amazing that you will never be able to understand it. Because if you were to take the time to try to figure out what God is going to do in your life, you'll never figure it out. That's why you can be a person like Victor Marx, who comes from a background of abuse and pain and suffering and 180 different appointments with all these people that are trying to fix what they call a crazy head. Stop for one moment and he, he just the suffering he's gone through in the last year, the loss of his brother. I mean, all the crazy things that have happened. How in the world can he still stop right now and look at what God is doing in his life and say, I never thought that any of this could possibly happen. Do you understand that if you just simply trust in God, yeah. you will realize how much of a plan God has made for you? And I, and I will make this one comment. 
Jesus didn't go to the cross willingly. If you think he went to the cross willingly, you're crazy. He actually said, I don't want to do this. Let this yeah. pass from me. Not my will, but thy will be done. He went to the cross obediently. And I believe that he did that as a model for us, that in our obedience, will we only then be able to look back? Even the writers of Oceans 11 and 12 could never come up with the plot that yeah, will be your life. Good. When you look back and you go, wow, look at what God has done. And here's the summary of it all, right? If God can establish his track record through this book and demonstrate literally everything in this book to be true, how much more can you trust in it for the future? Yeah. And your hand, you, you are in the hands of the Lord. And here's the wonderful part about it. If you don't know anything about salvation, right? Know this, you're not doing the work for it. God did the work. He's the one that did the work. He's the one that got you that salvation. He's the one that does the work and he's the one that continues to change you. So put your faith and trust in him and watch every promise that he makes concerning this issue come to life. Don't listen to the lies of this world. The sexual revolution it does not provide a promise. None, the promises that it provides always comes up bankrupt and empty. Don't yeah. listen to it. They're all lies. There's hope only in God. I, I love what you shared starting with the moms, then other people, maybe younger people have an anxiety, older people too. And folks, I did an experiment one time where I met with many, many, many older believers who had been walking with the Lord. It had to be a minimum of three or four decades for me. I was like, I, I, wanna, I wanna get the salty ones. And I asked them, I said, if you could describe God in one way, what would that be? Do you know the number one answer at a high percentage was this word, faithful? That's so funny. It's the word that came to my head. Like the moment faithful. you asked that question, it's so funny. <laughs> right? Because faithful doesn't mean without suffering. That's faithful right. doesn't mean without trial and tribulation. Faithful doesn't mean without pain. But what they knew, and I've learned, and I can testify, is you can go through anything yep. as long as he's with you. Amen. And he's so faithful. Trust me, anxiety is worse than the actual event. Yes, it is. I, I mean, I've, I've been in gunfights. I've had ISIS trying to kill me. I, I've held dead and dying people. I've seen the worst that humanity has to offer. And I know this. I'm, I'm physically, I've been broken, busted up, bombs, everything. The worst is actually the anxiety of it, not yeah. the actual act. When you're in it, God's grace is poured out. As that great theologian from the swamps of Louisiana said, my mother, she said, son, don't ever try to get on the ride, the roller coaster ride without the ticket of God's grace. And he'll only give it to you once you're on it. So, yeah. And know this, that you were on this planet during this time by God's will and design. So you got to maybe learn more about what Scripture says. And I'm going to talk to you who are lazy not just oppressed, but you're just lazy. And you, you, you expend your energy complaining instead of building yourself up. It's, uh, 
it's like, come on. Learn more about the end times. Go to James Gadish's website, YouTube channel, podcast. Watch, learn, and listen. He, I mean, he's been going through this stuff regularly now, and it's fresh. And let that motivate you. Let that excite you to go, Lord, you've placed me here. You know, f- for me, I'm at a stage in my life where for the first time ever, I'm kind of concerned maybe I won't be part of the rapture because I keep getting older. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, maybe I'll have to die a regular death, doggone it. Um, but what that motivates me to do is to say, hey, this next decade, I better start investing in younger people. Yep, that's right. Like in a whole new different way. Yep. Not just saving kids, not just, but I got to start investing so that the experiences of life and the faithfulness of God and what I've known and experienced, I can pass that on. Amen. So it's exciting times. Look at it as exciting times. And if you struggle with fear, I've been there. Panic attacks, anxiety, all I've experienced all of that, of course. And I would just say this, Second Timothy 1, 7, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And there have been days I had to say that a hundred times in a day to make my no know it. And there, again, exciting times, learn more. But James, I have to ask you two yes, questions sir. before we end. I ask it of my first-time guest. And it's crazy. We've been friends so much. But didn't isn't that kind of how it is with friends? Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you start looking through your phone, you're looking for pictures of each other, like what? And <laughs> and we, we don't take pictures unless we're intentional. That's right. Um same with this. You being on there the first time, and I know people are gonna want you on here more, but the two questions that I ask first is this we we all live by perceptions. Uh, we try to fill them in with facts. Yep. Uh, I just was on a program yesterday, um, Real America News, and uh, a sweet interviewer, love this gal a bit. She had done some research. But she opened up and they put the headliner that I had like personally rescued 45,000 kids from <laughs> ISIS. And I was like, uh <laughs> No, I gotta you, fix that. You know, yeah. yeah. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Oh, no. it, but I, I, but I've seen people do that with you on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, Introductions. You're, a, you're sort of you a know. folk legend, you know. Yeah, I, I taught Bruce Lee. Thing, yeah, yeah. You know, bat, I mentored Batman. Uh, so, and, and and it's all lovely. I just try to politely help reshape the truth. But I would say this: people live by perceptions. You know me as a friend. And you know, Eileen, what what would you tell people who, who we are or, or what we do? How would you explain that to people in short? Uh, so I think we have to preface it by just simply saying uh, you two are perhaps one of the greatest examples that I can think of of two extraordinarily different people who have modeled what it means to love God more than you love one another Thus, your ability to love one another has manifested in ways that would never manifest in most marriages, particularly when I think of your amazing wife, who literally had no reason to love you according to the standard of the world with the amount of 
damage that you went through and how yeah. that carried out, how it manifested in, you know, the representations you made in your own personal life and oh, so on and, and so forth. transferred some of it to her. Yeah. yeah. So you two are perhaps the greatest example, one of the greatest examples that I can think Thank of you. besides my own mom and dad of people that have learned to love God more than you'll ever love anybody else or one another. Because when oh. you learn to love God more than you love your spouse, you know, then you learn how to die to your spouse, yeah. right? Um, so and, and perhaps if I were to, to draw a picture for you, um, it would be something that I used to say about myself, and I just haven't said it as much, but then I heard you say it. And I don't think you've ever picked it up from me. I just think you started saying it. Um, you're not nice, but you're kind. Yeah. And, and I think that that makes you perhaps one of the greatest examples of a man that I know that has what I call the gift of violence. Mm. And, and I'm not talking about that in a bad way. I'm talking yeah. about that in an extraordinary way. I will tell you something that I told Victor that most people will never know that I've ever said to him. And it's hard for me not to get emotional. The first day that I take home my two children, mm. we have three children that are adopted, but my two daughters... Mm. Um, my first daughter is, uh, my oldest daughter is, is uh, about to turn this. three. She's two, yeah. two years and 10 months old. And my, my youngest baby is 19 days old. I take a picture of me holding those girls. Nicole takes the picture. And I send it to Victor. And yeah. I said, I've always loved you, Victor. And I've always appreciated you. But in this moment right now, I've never loved and appreciated you more than I do now. Because if it wasn't for men like you, I would never have to. Anyway, <laughs> um, what you do is spectacular. And there's a lot of attack that goes with that. The enemy hates you. Um, so so I, I would just simply say you're a man that has the heart of God. And, and you. you know... It's not a it's not a hard thing to see. And and there's a lot of people that will condemn you, never understand you. Yeah. It's because they've never seen the evil that you see. I remember this one very quick thought. David Harris Jr. put up a a um a video <laughs> of a woman who looked like she let go of her baby on the stroller and the baby ran out and somebody intercepted the baby. Yeah. And you made a statement that made so Many people angry yeah. about your observation. We don't need to get into the details of it. Right. I remembered watching that statement being made and thinking it was probably you. I, I happened to read that statement about four minutes after you released it and thinking thousands of people are going to lose their mind on Victor yeah. right now. Yeah. And I waited for a little while before people lost their mind. And I added a <laughs> comment to that that said, none of you have a clue what Victor is seeing yeah. Because you have never been there to see it. Yeah. And, and, and I thank God for that. Because yeah. most people will never understand you that way. I go, I'll go, I go over this with my wife all the time. She doesn't know why I have to sit in the back of a room uh, where I can yeah. watch the doors. She doesn't know why yeah. I, I have all these crazy rules about my kids not being on the internet and names yeah. not being shared and all of that. She's beginning to understand it now. But it's like, baby, you haven't seen the things I've seen. You, you yeah. haven't been a part of that. And especially me with my computer forensics background and all the investigations that I did in one area of the multiple areas you work in, no one will ever understand you. Yeah. No one, very few will people understand you. But you know what? God does because you yeah. have his heart. And, and it, that, that's one thing I would tell people. Yeah, thanks. I, 
you know, I, I determined a long time ago, I'm all right with being misunderstood yep. so that I can do the right thing. That's the mindset of a hero. And it just, it's, it is what it is. Last question, my friend. You touched on us earlier, but there may be some people listening and, uh, you know, death is imminent. Yeah. One way or another. Life is pretty short, ain't it? Yes, it is. Uh, I, I don't know how this happens so fast, but I guarantee at least my wife and I, we have this sense of there won't be any oil left in our lamp. Yep. We, 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 we're we're, we're going to go out bone dry. But what is when James passes away at 120 because <laughs> of some technology? Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> what happens to you like when you when when they call it they call the time beep what happens to you and why do you believe it um i'm going to hear the words well done good and faithful servant and a lot mm-hmm. of people will a lot of people will will hear me say that and say it's presumptuous and arrogant to think that god would say something like that to me But that belief is predicated upon an understanding of the scriptures that teach me that my salvation was never earned by me. (laughs) It was simply given to me, and it was earned by God. And the salvation that God promises me is a a result of an adoption. Speaking as a father who has adopted three children, and will probably adopt a few more, you have to understand something. We are all, as Christians, adopted. The most theologically incorrect statement that people can make who don't know the Bible is that we are all children of God. That's not true. If we were all children of God, then God would not have to adopt us. Um, We are adopted by God through what His Son did on the cross for us. And there's a lot of cliche statements that get made with that, but the reality of it is, if you have ever sinned against God, and all of us have, then you are worthy of hell. The Bible makes that very, very clear. Why? Because hell is a place that was designed for the devil. It wasn't designed for me and you. But the reality of it is, it is the place of punishment. Hell is real. And the lake of fire is real. And we will all be, those of us who reject the Lord will all be thrown there for eternity. It will be eternal separation from God. And the fact that I'm not going to hell, that you're not going to hell, is predicated upon not only the grace of God, but predicated upon the work of God. The fact that God chose to do the work for me, to live Mm. a perfect life that I would wear his robe of righteousness. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says that he did the work, then I get to take the perfect robe of righteousness that he wore the whole time he was on this earth, and he takes my filthy rag, puts it on himself. The moment he cried out, on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, of course, He was taking on judgment for our filthy rags that we wore during the time that we lived. And the Bible says that we put on his robe of righteousness. The Bible says that it is the blood. This is uh, Hebrews. The blood of the perfect lamb of God is sprinkled upon the doorpost of our heart that the death angel would pass. It's not predicated upon our words. It's not predicated upon our actions. It's not predicated upon any of those things. It is simply built upon the work that God did. Now, if that's the case, then something becomes absolutely revolutionary, and that's this. God is the one that does it, so there's no ebb and flow of my concern with respect to my future. But then more importantly than that, if God is the one that did it, God is going to be the one that finishes it. Yes. And if, uh, yes. if I get out of the way and let him finish it, 
I could go today and all will be well. Well, how does somebody, how's, I mean, you speak with such assurance. How does somebody have that assurance? What, what can they do right now if they're saying, okay, that's me. I, I need that. What, what would you tell them? What do two, they do? Two simple things that I tell this. Look, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved, right? But I, I, I oftentimes say this to people, right? The, the idea here, when we ask people to pray what everybody calls the sinner's prayer, um, it, it's all it is is a tool yeah. to get you into the mindset of repentance. It, yes, it's not yeah. actually saying those words that it's does not it. magical words. It's not. It isn't. You know, I, I tell people oftentimes, pray this prayer: Lord, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and then live a life of change, live a life of correction, live a life. Uh, you know, and and the idea behind doing that isn't like, well, live that life so that you can earn your salvation. No, it's live that life because you were given salvation. Right? Yeah. Live that life because you're grateful. Live that life because of, of of what's been done for you. I never had to go to my dad and say, Dad, let me into your life. I want you. You know, I never had to do that with my dad. My dad demonstrated for me what real biblical masculinity was. By the way, the definition of toxic masculinity is effeminate behavior. The definition of toxic masculinity is anything that goes outside of what God intended for men. So my dad, being a strong man, who was not toxic in nature, showed me what it was like to be a man. And God did that for me by sacrificing his son. God, God gave me the ultimate gift. And so I, my dad did not have to teach me how to be loyal to him. My dad did not have yeah. to teach me to speak highly of him. My dad did not pull me aside and say, James, when you're on the radio, say these nice things about me. I do it from gratitude for what my father has done for me. And you have a heavenly father that has given his son for you. I would yeah. never, I would never give my little baby boy for anybody. Yep. But to think about what God did for us when he didn't have to, yeah. we walk in gratitude for it. Uh, folks, if you're listening right now, young or old, Pastor James is gonna, he's gonna tell you those words again, and you say them out loud. I think it's good, and I think the Lord can touch you. He can forgive you. He can put His Spirit inside of you, and you can have what we call that assurance of salvation, um, based on the work of the cross, the finished work. And James, would you just lead a person that's saying, all right, I I want that now? I think it's a simple prayer. It's really easy. It sounds over easy, but here mm-hmm. it is, right? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Father, forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Father, forgive me of my sins. Mm-hmm. And Lord, anybody that prayed that prayer right now, I pray that you would cause them to walk with you, that they would develop a realization and an understanding based on your name, based on your word, based on your goodness, that what they just experienced is real and it's true. And I pray that you would bring to them, Lord, the salvation that you promised them, that their lives would be transformed, never to be the same again. So Lord, we just love you and thank you. We look to you and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a great time today, folks. Um, and I just say this, if you prayed that contact pastor James or us, let us know. We love hearing it. We love hearing that people gave their life to the Lord. You know, we're celebrating 20 years 
of ministry with all things possible. And we have a link that we'd love to send y'all that you can actually write a little paragraph or even upload a video if you've been touched by our ministry in the last two decades. And we're going to be posting stuff and really sharing what God has done. So please contact through victormarks.com and you send us an email and say, I want to be on your email list. I want to send you a little link, a little paragraph. Send me that link. We'll do it for y'all for sure. And guys, and wherever favor, you are. Can, can I add this? It, do yeah. me a favor. Please support ATP if you can think about it. If you guys, uh, just the newsletter, you know that they don't even charge for the newsletter. They say any amount. You could give two cents for the newsletter that they spend way more than that doing. Uh, donate to them, you guys, because well, you know what you're doing? You're donating to the salvation of children yeah. in more ways than one. Like, well, that, that is the truth. Man, thank you. And, you know, it's like it, we have these courses online, our marriage course, and you can pay a buck. Yeah, you can, and and your marriage can be and so many thousands actually go through it every month. That's what we're just blown away with, and we are thankful for all of you that pray today. Today we crossed a million followers That's so on cool. Facebook, <laughs> That's and so cool. uh, yeah, and then like on Instagram, we're growing by one to two thousand new followers a day. <laughs> It's so awesome. I, it, it, and you're experiencing that growth too. Yeah, not I, at that I, level, but it's amazing to see. But yeah. Right? You, you, yeah. We you have, see yeah, God, in the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. God's moving. Yeah. So, you guys, thank you all. And until we meet again on the show, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, doing it, just do it for the glory of God. Full out, full throttle. Amen. You won't be disappointed. We love y'all. See you next time right here on the Victor Mark Show. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.